This has been an incredible weekend in the presence of God. God has moved mightily. God has healed. He has delivered. He has encouraged. And we're not done. And so we want to just take a moment before we go any further because the word that the Lord gave me for this morning is flat ridiculous. There's no other way to describe it. It's flat ridiculous. Yeah. Because the Lord disturbed me and said, I'm going to tell you what I told you years ago. And it unlocked my life in the prophetic and in the move of God. And we're going to tap into it this morning. And I believe many of you are going to shift from moving from battle to breakthrough to battle to breakthrough. You're going to shift and you're going to begin going glory to glory to glory to glory. Because many of us have been conditioned that we think it's our job to do all the fighting of the enemy. So we spend all of our time either fighting ourselves, fighting our friends, fighting our issues, fighting our past. And we get stuck because Jesus is the fighter. You are the stander. Having done all, stand. Oh, come on now. This is going to be good this morning. We're going to shift some mindsets. Now, we, we want to take a moment. On this Sunday morning, we want to also give you the opportunity to give, to sow, because it's a beautiful way as we continue the presence of God. I just want to share this with you. The Lord has moved so wondrously in all of our lives that the Lord has already. Normally, people don't say this in conference. I'm going to say it. God has covered everything already. So as you sow this morning, I want you to just sow, not because there's a need in a conference. God has taken care of all the needs. God has been faithful. I want you to sow because you believe that as you sow, the Lord is loosing back into your life. God is a God that believes his word. And the Lord said in his word something that I learned years ago, and it's very simple. As long as the earth remains, many of you know this scripture, seed time and harvest shall continue. As long as there is a planet, a seed will produce a harvest. The seed is the smallest thing you can find in your hand to produce the greatest productivity in your future. You plant a seed, it gives you a tree, but that tree then releases many other seeds. So it's not how many apples are on the tree. It's how many apples are in the seed. Oh, that's going to take you a minute. Because one apple may have a handful of seeds. But if you plant those seeds, you just produced an orchard. That orchard is going to produce a forest. That forest is going to feed a nation. All started with one seed. It is amazing what can happen if you plant your seed in the right ground. And I believe the Lord is stirring us. And I'm going to say three things as we get ready to give. Number one, give with faith whenever you give. Always expect that the Lord is going to cause what you have sown to come back to you. Number two, many times the reason our seed did not produce was because we put it in bad ground. You cannot plant in bad ground and have good harvest. And so you've got to find what is good ground. How do you know what good ground is? There is fruit being produced. The second thing about good ground is the presence of God abides upon it. The third thing is there is humility upon the forest and the field. If there is pride in the field, there will be death in the harvest. 
And so you look at the field when you sow. And the last piece, sow with joy. Every time I give, I give saying, Lord, it's my privilege and my pleasure to partner with you for the kingdom. And that's why the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver because your cheerfulness unlocks your future. With joy, you shall draw from the well of salvation. There are things in God you can't tap into till you get happy. So it's not enough to sow. When you sow, you ought to be a hilarious giver. You ought to give saying, oh, this right here is going to keep the devil off my children. This right here is going to break poverty off my future. This right here is going to open up a well of blessing. So I am hilarious in my giving because I am convinced of my future. So I'm walking. My current state of existence does not create the seed I sow. Because I'm giving for where I'm going, not where I'm living. Oh, yes. I learned from my father, Larry Dalton, when he was unemployed, had no job, and they were not hiring him because he was past the age of being hired. And he came home one day and he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sow a seed for the job I want. And the salary I'm going to have. I said, well, dad, you don't have to tithe. You don't even have a job. He said, I'm going to tithe for the job I'm going to get. And for four months straight, he sold the tithe for the salary he wanted. At the end of four months, he went in for an interview and they hired him at the salary he had been tithing for. He came home and said to me, look at what they say they're going to pay me. And I said, that's what you've been tithing. He said, I gave until God opened up a window. Ah. And God shall open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing you don't have room to receive. So when you give in faith in the right soil with the right attitude, heaven opens over your world. Are you ready to give? Father, we thank you this morning that as we sow, we sow with expectation. And I pray in advance that every person as they sow, may heaven open over you, your children and your children's children. May poverty and lack be broken and may abundance find you in places you never dreamed of. And may the Lord amaze you with how he outgives you in your own life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sow in faith. Hallelujah. Oh, if you're making out a check, you can make it out to DC3. DC3. It makes it easy. You don't have to spell no words. Save your syllables. All right. Are you ready? This unlocking the prophetic. I love this whole thing because as Dano was talking, my life has been for years. The Lord said to me, I want you when I asked the Lord, give me a one minute definition of who I am. I asked him this 22 years ago. I said, when people are trying to figure out who they are and they get lost in their own walk with God and I've forgotten what I'm called to do, I said, define it for me in such a way I can never forget what you said. Because every person I read about in scripture, God, they had a defining moment when God spoke to them and said, this is who you are for me and this is who you should be for the people. You will always have two distinct marks upon your life who you're called to be for God and who you're called to be for people. Don't mix up the two because you'll be so busy being something for people and who you are for people will be seasonal. 
who you are for God will be eternal. So who God has called you to be for people may not be your ultimate call throughout the rest of your life. So you need to hear a clear definition, lest who you become as a servant kills who you're called to be as a son. That was good right there. I said, Lord, tell me who I am. The Lord said to me one night as I was laying before his presence, he said, for the rest of your life, your job, your call, and your destiny shall be to understand the prophetic and bring people to a moment of divine breakthrough. So where they could not see victory, they will ascertain victory. That has been my call to understand the prophetic, to look into the things of the prophetic, to understand the gifts, to understand the move of God, to walk with the Holy Spirit. It is not because I just love it more. It's because he said, I'm going to give you an understanding and a grace for it. And you will walk this the rest of your days that where you go, you will bring people into a prophetic understanding of who I am in them and who they are in me. So that they will never again walk in lackluster victory or mediocre living. That is my assignment. I, that's what I was called to do. And that is my joy. Who I am for him is so different. It is real simple. He said, who you shall be for me is one who loves my presence and get lost in my presence. He said, and every time my presence gets thick, you will get lost. So for many of y'all who were amazed to see me thrown out on the floor and I could not recover myself, that is my normal place of survival. When I get deep in his presence, I forget the room and I melt into the carpet and I have no shame or reputation to defend. I love being lost in him because when I had no ministry and was traveling nowhere in the middle of my living room, when the worship would be playing and God would come through the wall and I would suddenly hear his voice, I would melt beside my couch and three hours later still be kissing carpet and loving Jesus. And you've got to learn how to be who he's called you to be in spite of what he's called you to do. Lest you let a reputation that doesn't matter stop you from an encounter that could change you. Never let your reputation be greater than your hunger. Stay hungry. Be so hungry that your reputation burns in the light of him. And I will go where he tells me to go. And if he says, worship me now in the middle of a boardroom, you will throw back your head and say, I adore you, Jesus. Finally encountering those that can write the check to build your future. And you begin to weep because you feel his presence in the room unashamed because you recognize if God opened the door to this room, he got 10 more. I never thought of. So don't lose an encounter trying to impress people. <laughs> We're already unlocking the prophetic. We're already walking it through now. As I've been praying and seeking the Lord over these last few days and last couple of weeks as we were getting ready, he said something to me. I want you to talk to my people about grace. When Dano talked about us being unlocked and understanding who we are and understanding how to move outside of time, that was a powerful word. And one of the things that shifts you and unlocks the prophetic in your life and causes you to walk in a place of sonship and great authority is understanding that everything you will accomplish in your walk with God will be by grace. 
Now, grace is not, and we often define it this way as unmerited favor. I want to give you two different definitions that go in the same line, but I want to give you the first definition is the power to become. The power to become. When you look at grace and what grace does throughout the New Testament, grace is the power to become what God has spoken. Whatever God has spoken, whatever God has put in you, he gives grace upon your life. And that grace, that favor, that breath, that touch, it is the power to become. So that I have become a preacher, a teacher, a mother, a father, a giver, a worker, a builder, a strategist, a thinker. You have become someone in government. You have become whoever you were destined to be, a doctor, a physicist, a scientist. Whoever you are, you became it because God gave you the power to become. Now, as surely as God equipped you and empowered you to become whoever you are, he has greater grace for who he shall be in you. So many times what happens is we slow down our own progress with God. We hamstring ourselves and slow down our moving in God because we get convinced that who we used to be is greater than his empowerment within us. But the empowerment of God within you pushes past all borders, destroys all obstacles, gives you dominion over mindsets and shows you the future of who you're called to be so that you begin to glimpse yourself enough times until you finally believe that what you saw in your future is your true reality. Grace begins to wash your eyes so that you don't see yourself like you used to see you. And you suddenly wake up for we become what we behold. We look as through a glass darkly. So as we begin to behold him, we become just like him. So do you know that it is God's greatest desire for you to wake up one day, look in the mirror and say, I look just like Jesus. It is his greatest desire for you to look in the mirror and not see your frailties, your faults, your mistakes or your issues. It is his greatest desire for you to never again name yourself by your failures from the past, your mistakes from yesterday, or your inconsistencies that have not yet been dealt with. It is his greatest desire for you to stop naming yourself by the name your sin gave you, your past broke you, or your family misnamed you. It is his greatest desire for you to take hold fully of the sonship of Christ in you, God in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is his greatest desire for you to be fully convinced that you are as righteous as Jesus. Oh, the room quiet now. Because religion has convinced us that we have to hold on to our frailties or we're going to walk outside of mercy. Religion continually reminds you of your mistakes in order to keep you a slave. It makes me nervous to be around believers who every time they get into God's presence, all they can talk about is the sin of the last few days. It makes me nervous when all we talk about is being broken, being messed up, being trans, trans, transformed by pain, being stuck in yesterday. It makes me nervous that the level of Christ we have received is so minuscule that my life and its voice is louder than Jesus in heaven speaking to me. 
So we know what you believe by what comes out of your mouth. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. By confession, we understand what you are truly convinced of. So you are not truly transformed until your tongue meets your spirit. So when we say, I believe I am a new creature in Christ, yet we only talk about old habits. When we say we believe that God has the power to transform us fully, yet we hold other people hostage to their last great mistake. When we say we believe the Lord has brought us into his presence, yet we get stuck at the door of issues. Then we have not been translated fully into his presence because we keep stopping at the door of the wash and the labor. See, we have to make sure we don't get stuck at a door that's no longer there. <laughs> is, this, is this helping anybody this morning? Because we're, we're going to walk this thing out. I'm going to take my time. According to what Jesus has done for us, when he became high priest forever for the new covenant, when he rose from the dead and he tore the veil, the piece of the veil was rent when he died. When he rose again, fully victorious, fully equipped, fully empowered, and he said, touch me not for I have not yet ascended to my father. He had full victory in his hand, but he went to the father for a reason because the high priest had to present to the father the blood. So Jesus didn't just shed his blood. He carried his own blood to the father. When he carried his blood before the father and poured out his blood, his blood cried out your name. For we know that if the blood of Abel speaks these things from the ground, then the blood of Jesus speaks even better things. So the blood of Abel cried out judgment, but the blood of Jesus cried out mercy. So when the blood of Jesus is poured out before the father, the father heard the shout of mercy connected to your name so that every time he looks at you, he cannot see past the blood that brings mercy. So when he sees you, he hears mercy. When he hears you pray, he hears mercy. When he looks at you, he hears mercy mercy. So one of the things that's essential to unlocking the deeper realm of the prophetic is to recognize that his judgment is no longer against you. Because to go into the deep place to hear, to see, to perceive, and to declare, you must be convinced that your relationship with the father is sound enough for this deep expression he has for you to not be disqualified or devalued by who you used to be. Because many times, and I've had this question in many places, people come up and say, I know the Lord has called me. I know there's a prophetic anointing. I know I have an apostolic grace. I know I'm called to be a pastor, a teacher. I know I'm called to this, but I'm having trouble going deeper in his presence. And so we're going to deal with that today. We're going to unlock this prophetic. The reason many of us have a deep problem going deeper is because, and when you pray, Say these words, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be on earth as it is in heaven. Stop there. 
The beginning of Jesus' great words to his disciples when they said, how do we enter into a place to be like you? Now, what were they asking? They weren't asking about the miracles. They were asking about the seed of his power. The seed of his power was his prayer life. What is the prayer life? The prayer life is a prophetic lifestyle. I went and heard the Father, and I did what the Father said to do. What is the simplest definition of the prophetic? To hear God and to repeat what you heard. Jesus was walking a prophetic lifestyle, and that's why they understood him to be a prophet because they looked at him and said, you must be a prophet sent from God because every time you say something, it happens. Everywhere we go, it's just like you said it would be. How did that happen? In the midnight when he prayed, heaven became a vision, an encounter, a representation to him. He took what he saw, translated it into language, and what he shared in the daytime was equal to his personal life at night. So he was only reproducing in ministry what he walked out in private. So his prophetic was not that he had an angel come down and tell him 10 great things. His prophetic was a lifestyle of prayer. Ooh. Unlocking the prophetic. If we're going to walk it like Jesus did, he said, I'm going to show you how to replicate a lifestyle that produces power. He said the beginning of this, it starts with you need to know that when you pray, Say these words, our father. I'm going to camp right there for a moment. Then we're going to walk through the grace of God. As we understand the grace of God, the grace of God is God's power to become. What did he call us to become? Sons. Jesus said, you'll say our father. From the very heart of God, the desire of God was that we would become sons. Though you were born a daughter, when you were born again, you became a son. And don't think that a strange thing, because though there are many men in the room, when we get to heaven, we'll be part of a bride. So don't let your natural mess up your spiritual. Now, as sons, sons do what their father is doing. So a prophetic lifestyle is now equated to sonship. So the moment you became a son, you were destined to become prophetic. <laughs> Why? Because sons hear their father. My sheep hear my voice and another they will not follow. Jesus only did what he heard the father saying and doing. So Jesus showed us that sonship is equal to hearing and responding replicating what you've seen. So the life of a son is the life of walking in replication of the father's will. So don't make sonship difficult. Why? Servants repeat what they saw other servants do. Sons repeat what the father did. Who trains servants? Other servants. When you get hired in a company, when they brought a slave in to work in the house, they would assign someone else to show them what to do. So a servant taught a servant and a slave taught a slave. But sons learn from their daddy. So how do we know that we've been stuck in servanthood so long? That's why the prophetic has been locked up is because we've only gone as deep as the person leading us. 
So we got stuck in servanthood because if you said this is how much of God I can have, then I'm going to have how much you have. And if you wear a three-piece suit, I'm going to wear a three-piece suit. And if you wear a Tommy Bahama shirt, I'm going to wear a Tommy Bahama shirt. And if you only come to church twice a week, I only go twice a week. And if you believe that God wants to heal me, I believe God wants to heal me. But if you say God doesn't speak anymore, I'm okay believing he doesn't speak anymore because I have become conditioned to serve at the level of my teacher rather than go as deep as my father so Jesus said your walk now begins when you recognize and understand he is your father so as a father the first thing he does is strip off of you slave mentality and servant limitations So first, he has to go through our lives and break slave mentality. What is slave mentality? We all work for a few to receive. Now, if we're not careful, we've almost turned church into plantation thinking. Where we fill up the pews so a few can receive. We get a thousand people in a church, but we only talk about the three on the stage. <laughs> Slave mentalities. I believe that God could heal you. So your testimony of what God did for you as the pastor, the prophet, the teacher, that is amazing. But God's never done miracles like that for me. That's slave mentality. So God raised, began to raise up sonship over the last 20 years to shift us from thinking about packing out stadiums and watching a few do wonders to all of us being sons and all of us prophesying, all of us laying hands, all of us doing wonders. So as God began to raise up, we shifted from being slaves to servant thinking. Now, servant thinking is all of us are working, but we're working for pay. So servants will work hard, but they're looking for pay. So we shifted into, we all began to get more active in God, but we had to go through a season where God is now healing us and restoring us because we got active. But somewhere in the midst of this movement of God where everyone's prophesying and laying hands and getting busy, it became about how many people could follow us on Facebook and how many people could watch us on Instagram because my pay is your response to me. So if we're not careful, we have turned this glorious lifestyle of walking in the glory of God to a simple idea of your praise becomes my pay. This is good. The Lord said, so I'm not after slaves and I don't need servants. I need sons. Now, as sons, it doesn't matter who gets credit because the son knows the father is the one who approves me. As a son, it's not about whether we've got 10 people or 10,000, because as long as I do the will of him that sent me, I am satisfied. As a son, whether I live in a three-room house or a 30-room house, I've got the same level of contentment because if this is where the father put me, this is his will. So I have learned to live in the place of contentment because I am a son, not a servant. So God is shifting us because to unlock us in this hour, we've got to rest in the place of sonship. 
Look at someone and say, you're a son. You're a son. Now, if you are a son, then you are an heir. Ah! Ah! Now, now, now. If you be a son, then you are an heir. So in unlocking this prophetic in this hour, he says you need to understand if everyone is a son, everyone can see into heaven, everyone can hear from heaven, everyone can replicate what heaven is doing because it's not about favorites, it's about birthing. And every one of us has received the birthing of the blood of Jesus in our lives. Now if you've been born again, you are now tied to an inheritance that does not fade away. It is supernatural in nature and eternal in power. If you are now a son, the inheritance you now have makes you able to tap into limitless resources and unending supply. If you are a son, then your prayer is not about how many words you use, but it is about the relationship you have that he is ready to answer his children. If you are a son, it's not about whether did I pray yesterday enough? Did I fast for 21 days? Did I read enough scripture? Because whether my son was doing everything I asked him or not, the moment he says, Daddy, I need you, whether he's a good boy or a bad boy, I'm going to fight everybody that's fighting him. So we've got to understand that being a son gives you access to power. And if I am an heir, then every time I go forward, heaven moves with me. So now you've already said you're a son. Look at someone and say, you have an inheritance. Because being an heir means there is a bank account somewhere with your name on it. So you are an inheritor. Ah, now. That's what being an heir means. Now, if I am an inheritor, that means the father that birthed me left me resources I did not earn to fulfill dreams I've never had. He left me resources I did not earn to fulfill dreams I have not even had. When I was a baby, father was putting aside for me one day he's going to want to go to college. So let me put aside his college fund. One day he'll want a house. Here's the money for his first house. One day he'll want a car. Let me go ahead and get him the car. He's going to, one day he's, and father was planning while you were sleeping. Now, if the resources were provided before your wisdom was connected, why do you think your wisdom helps him now? What's messing us up is we have been taught by servants who told us everything we needed to do. When you've got a bad day, here's how you got to fix it with God. And if you hadn't prayed enough, that's why the miracle didn't come. And you know, that's why the devil, that's why your tire blew out because you cussed at somebody three weeks ago. Now you've got people cussing, drinking and high whose tires didn't blow out. 
But you who are a child of God covered by the blood of the Lamb in love with Jesus and worshiping, you had one tire blow out and now you are believing that the devil has enough power to break through the bloodline to steal your inheritance and mess with your destiny. Stop believing crazy stuff. We have given power to a lie and we devalued the truth because we were taught by servants and not by sons. Because as a son, I know everybody on the planet gonna have a bad day, but it don't mean daddy mad at me. Trouble's gonna come to everybody, but God didn't cover his eyes for where I dwell. He is still in love with me even when all hell is breaking loose. So his arm is not short and his power is not diminished. You've got to think like a son. And if you think like a son, slavery can never hold you again. Woo. Come on now. Is anybody getting unlocked? <laughs> now, if I'm a son and an heir, then there's something else I have to throw in there. Then if I be an heir, I'm also a joint heir. But I'm a joint heir with who? No, 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 with who? With who? I'm a joint heir with Jesus. Now if I'm a joint heir with Jesus, I'm not a joint heir with the Jesus that was on the planet. a joint heir with the Jesus who now sits at the right hand of the Father. So I'm not a joint heir with the level of miracles, signs and wonders he had only in here. I'm not a joint heir with the level of power he had in here. I'm a joint heir with the risen King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that when I tap into my inheritance, he says, what I have now in heaven is yours. The level of my authority from heaven is extended to you. My rule, my reign, my riches is yours. So I need you not to believe that I am bound by earthly principles. I need you to believe that whatever's going on in heaven can show up in your house. You are a joint heir with Jesus now. Which is how cancer dissipates in an instant. Which is how your children who've been strung out for years can show up in an hour standing at your house saying, Mama, I don't know how I got here, but I sobered up all of a sudden because as a joiner with the power he has now, as Dano said, he'll move time to release destiny because I'm an heir of God, but I'm a joint heir with Christ. Now, if I be a joint heir with Christ, it doesn't say joint heir just with Jesus. It says actually joint heir with Christ. Okay. What does Christ mean? The anointed one and his anointing. So my inheritance is his anointing. 
My inheritance is his anointing. Not my anointing. Not the anointing that was on my daddy. Not the anointing on the pastor that I used to like. Not the anointing on the eight people that laid hands on me. The anointing on the king who sits on the throne. The anointing of the one who rules the universe. That's why he says greater works you can do than I've ever done because I'm now sitting fully empowered and I will dump oil on your head. Hey, Jesus, the anointed one and his anointing is your inheritance. So as we are getting unlocked, I need to unlock you from the thought of how much oil is actually on you. Because we have been taught by servants that the level of oil on you is equal to whoever gave oil to you. So we say stuff like, I got the anointing from that person. I got ministry just like they got it. So you've limited yourself by your confession to never moving past the level they lived at. I don't care who laid hands on me, there is greater oil than anybody's ever seen. I don't care what impartation I've had, God has more for me than anybody told me I could have. Because my inheritance is the anointed one and his anointing. So his anointing walked on water. His anointing stopped raging seas. His anointing made funerals stop and dead girls get up. His anointing made blind eyes open. His anointing made the sun stand still. His anointing made the Red Sea open. His anointing made Egypt bow down. His anointing. And that same anointing is on you. The same anointing, the same anointing is on you. Limitless, unending. Oh, there's no end, Debbie. There's no end to this oil. It's limitless, Clinton, limitless. Look at somebody and say, I have a limitless supply. Limitless supply. Yeah! Yes! Yes! Oh! 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 <laughs> Glory! Woo! Yes! Something is breaking loose in this place! Now I'm an heir of God, I'm a joint heir with Christ. Now the last piece, and then we're gonna to have to stop this thing. If we don't get close to closing, we ain't gonna stop. Woo! The last piece is, now I have the Holy Spirit. Now, oh come on here. <laughs> if I have the Holy Spirit, he is the foretaste of glory not yet seen. He is the down payment of heaven's resources. 
So I have been given access to the full anointing of Jesus. And then Jesus said, I'm going to give you more than that. I'm going to put inside of you a down payment of heaven's riches so that you can live out of heaven on earth. Live out of heaven on earth. Unlocking the prophetic is living out of heaven on earth. There was a man of God who I remember years ago, I believe it was Pastor Roberts Lurden was telling a story one time in a service and he told this story, it transformed the way we thought. There was a man in Russia who was a preacher and he was getting so many people saved that the KGB wanted to lock him away and they didn't want to kill him because they knew if they made him a martyr, it would cause more Christians to get saved. So they locked him in his house and surrounded his house with KGB agents. They left him in there and thought we won't let him leave for food or for water and he'll just die and they can't blame us. One day in the middle of winter, as the whole outside was covered in like eight feet of snow and all the trees were covered in ice and there was no food in his house. He said, Lord, I've trusted you and obeyed you. What will I do? And the Lord said to him, begin to pray in the spirit. For I will cause the atmosphere of heaven to come down. He began to pray. And as he began to pray, the Lord said, now go outside and dig under the snow. He went outside with a shovel and began to pull up the snow. And when he uncovered his little garden that had been under ice and snow for weeks, suddenly he saw the tops of carrots and beets. And the Lord said, dig right there. He began to dig and there were perfectly formed potatoes and onions. And he brought in a crate of food into his house. He said, Lord, what a miracle. The Lord said, no, continue to worship me. The next day he went outside. The Lord said, now shake the tree, the tree that was covered in icicles. When he shook the tree, the icicles came off and there was perfectly formed oranges hanging on the tree. He brought the atmosphere of the supernatural into the natural. You can't kill what God says live. You've got to live out of the abundance of your spirit and bring the down payment of heaven into earth. The down payment of heaven into earth. If there are trees blooming every month in heaven and they can pick leaves off the trees in heaven, God can make a tree bloom for you. If God's got chariots in heaven rolling around, he can make your car keep working. If God's got people in heaven calling upon his name, he can make your children wake up and worship. Let the down payment of heaven on the inside of you begin to well up like living water and bubble out into your house until the very atmosphere of your house is transformed. Unlock the prophetic power of God that's inside of you and stop living in the limitations of your mind or the fierceness of your past, but break every wall of resistance by the supernatural grace and glory that's on the inside of you because God has not limited you. He's asked you to partner with heaven. Unlock what in you and let it out. I'll never forget. Never forget. Dano was talking about it last night and I began to laugh. I was riding in a car with two other people. We were coming back from Bakersfield, California. 
We used to go to Bakersfield every first Sunday and I would minister with a man named Jerry Bench. He was a mentor of mine. We were driving back and that drive back to where we lived was about three and a half hours, almost four. We were driving and as we had left that day, we left the church and we were worshiping, playing the music. And we began to worship and we started singing in tongues. And all of a sudden, it sounded like someone had hit the back of our car. We just heard poof. And Tommy pulled over, who many other people here at the church know Tommy, the one-eyed Indian. My friend, he's actually a tall, yeah, with one eye. That's why we call him Tommy, the one-eyed Indian. He pulls the car over and we go, Lord, what just happened? And then we looked where we were. We had only left Bakersfield 20 minutes earlier. When we heard the boom and we looked, we were a few miles outside of Pomona. And God had jumped us over the 99. And we're looking at each other going, what just happened? And he said, there's no way. There's no way this just happened. And the Lord said to me, I am still God of all things. There's a place we have to come to where we stop letting our mind mess up our miracles. What kills the miraculous power of God is that we begin to analyze and criticize and look at everybody else's life. And the Lord told me years ago, he said, you'll never walk in the miraculous if you spend all of your time weighing everybody else's decisions. When you become a critic of the church of God and the house of God, you steal your own momentum because you're stuck on people instead of concentrating on God's presence. So the enemy works hard to get us to become critical and bitter and divided because it stops the momentum of the glory of God. When the Lord said simply, when Peter said, I need to know, Lord, what is going to happen to John, the disciple? I want to know because he says he's your favorite and he tells everybody you love him more and he's the youngest and he's aggravating and he's getting on my nerves and we run to tombs and he jumps in first and and he doesn't listen to everybody and every time we start a prayer meeting he's got his head on your chest and it's just getting on my nerves I'm 25 years older than this kid and he's ticking me off and he says, Lord, what's going to happen to John? And Jesus looks at him and says, if I let John live till I return again, how is that your business? I need to say to many of us, for your prophetic to be unlocked, you need to realize everybody else's life is not your business. Because if we would focus on our own calling and stay in the presence of God, he would ignite and highlight moments and divine encounters so that you would go from glory to glory, praise to praise, example to example, revelation to revelation. But we don't stay locked in because the moment we go deep, what, what, what is she doing? And why is she doing it? Well, somebody needs to tell him he's wrong. Somebody need to fix him. Somebody, need, oh, their family, they just need to fix their family. And the Lord is going, I'm trying to take you into glory. And you're holding on to people. 
focused on nothing, arguing about whispers. Come on in the glory. Come on in the glory. Come on in the glory. My response at this point of my life is, whether they preach of joy or contention, at least the gospel be preached. I don't have nothing to say about anybody else's ministry at this point. I'm too busy trying to work my own. Whether they sing, pray, prophesy, or say nothing at all, whether they sit and, or they lift their hand and, or they take off running, I don't care. <laughs> I just want Jesus preached. I got too much to do. <laughs> He's unlocking us. And to be unlocked, the greatest lock that sits on the church is the lock we put on ourselves by focusing on people. The Lord says, unlock yourself. Stop being hemmed in and hampered by everybody else's issues. Stop letting their decisions define you. Stop letting their nonsense name you. God will handle people. You just make sure you handle his presence. And he will unlock you. He will unlock you. Now, oh my Lord, okay, we gotta go. <laughs> We're gonna do something, yeah. I want us to take a moment. We're gonna activate this thing. Now, I didn't get to preach it, so I'm just going to have to say it. When we understand we're sons and we understand that we're heirs and we understand that we have joint heir with him, then there is something that gets released. So I'm going to say this so they can get it and you just write it down. This is what the message was going to be about. <laughs> Understanding who we are unlocks these things. Acts 18, 24 through 27. Write it down and you can have it for later. These unlock the graces of God, graces. When you look at scripture, there are actually eight different graces in scripture. The power to become as we are sons is what gets loosed over your life. The first grace he unlocks in Acts 18, 24 through 27 is believing grace. Every one of you, as you are unlocking the prophetic in your life, you need to know when God calls you to do something you can't do on your own, there is grace to believe. You don't need to struggle. You don't need to beat yourself up. You need to get still in his presence and say, God, I believe since you told me it's going to happen. Give me the grace to believe this. Empower me to believe. Empower me to believe that we can have a building in another city that we didn't even pay for. Empower me to believe that you're going to take me to that nation and we're going to have miracles when we get there. Empower me to believe that that mission trip is going to be paid for on time as I travel. Empower me to believe that what you said shall come to pass. He will give grace to believe. Acts 20 verse 32. The grace to build. Grace to build. For every one of you in ministry and every one of you who has a family, there will come a time in your life when you feel like expansion has come. And when expansion comes, what stops us often is we have faith for this level, but we haven't had faith for the next level. And so we slow down. We wait. Lord, how are we going to do that? How can we buy that property next door? How can we go to that city? How can we expand to another building? How can we travel around the world? And the Lord says, now you've had grace to believe. Now have grace to build. Grace to build. Every one of you that has never owned your own home, you need to ask the Lord to release the grace to build upon you. 
that you begin to walk around and say, I have not owned a house, but God is going to grace me with the faith to believe for our own house. We are going to build a place in God. Have grace to build. God will grace you to build. Every pastor that's been asking God about your church growing in the future, there is grace to build, to expand in your city. Every one of you that's looking to build strength in your family, there is grace to build. God will not start something unless he strengthens you to build it well. There is grace to build. Ephesians 2.8, there is saving grace. The same way we came to God is he released grace upon us for we are saved by grace. Not works. We are saved by faith through grace. So God releases a grace upon you. He stirs a grace upon you. So what do I mean? I mean, just like God put grace on you and it brought you into the kingdom, you need to begin to pray grace over your children. Lord, I pray now release grace upon everyone in my family that's not born again. I pray saving grace would find them in the days ahead. I pray they'll be sitting and they'll turn the radio on and hear a message that gets their heart. I pray they'll walk by someone who grabs them and say, I have a word for you. I pray that the saving grace of God would awaken their heart and cause them to come into the kingdom. Pray for saving grace. Acts 6 and 8. Acts 6 and 8. Grace for ministry. I love this one. Every one of us, especially as God is unlocking you, as God is showing you over these last few days, many of you have had vision or you've had confirmation that there is deeper ministry inside of you. You know that the Lord is highlighting things he's called you to do. But many times we don't go forward because there's been a fear. I don't know how to do that. It's bigger than my own skill set. The moment God calls you to do something bigger than your skill and bigger than your history, you need to begin to thank him for grace for ministry. There is grace to minister. You may not be a good teacher in your own mind, but if the Lord has said prophetically and called you out to teach, you need to start thanking him now. I thank you, Lord, that when I stand up to bring your word, the grace to teach shall come upon me. The grace, I thank you that the grace of evangelism shall come upon me for the saving of souls. I thank you that the grace of the prophetic shall come upon me that when I stand, I will prophesy. I began to thank the Lord years ago for the grace for ministry that in any situation it would come. And many times people who travel around me, they'll say to me, you're like a chameleon. We'll get here and you're preaching and running. We get here and you're teaching behind the pulpit. We get here. Jim's been with me when the evangelistic grace came upon me and we were calling people in every night and 40, 50, 60. It was just soul after soul. Every single service we had the altar full because the Lord said to me, I'm going to grace you as an evangelist for the next few days. Soon as we left that city, the Lord said, I'm going to put an apostolic grace on you here because the churches are gathering. So you're going to shift them and help them build whatever you need in ministry. That grace can come upon you. I say specifically to the group that's come now from San Francisco. I saw a grace come down on you all. There is going to be a grace for ministry that comes upon you that is going to shift you into a wave of reformation like you've never seen. And the Lord is about to cause there to be a breaking of walls all around you, God. And this is what I hear. All of those that are weary, all of those that have been ready to give up, those that have been hopeless are about to come in together and it shall be a stream of living water and the Lord shall pour life into them and the Lord shall cause them to drink deep of his presence. For the Lord is pouring upon you a grace to minister. What's been hard in the past shall be easy now. What you couldn't figure out shall become easy now. What you couldn't make happen shall be easy now. The Lord says this will be a sweatless victory. 
a sweatless victory. He shall make it easy. He shall make it easy. Grace to minister. I say to many of you, you've had prophetic words about things you're going to do in ministry that you've never stepped into. You know what? Let's stop right here. I need every person that you know God's called you to do something in ministry, but you haven't seen it activate. You haven't seen it break through, but you know you heard from God. I want you to stand. Right now, today. Yes, Lord. Now, I want you to just lift your hands up before me. Now, just say this with me. Lord, I receive, Lord, I receive grace, for grace for ministry. Grace for impartation. Grace for impartation. And, grace and grace to build. Now, Lord, I pray for all those that are standing. I pray now that you would release upon each one a supernatural grace to minister in ways they've never ministered before, to fulfill every prophecy, to walk out their destiny in every place where they could not see it or believe they could do it. I pray that you would break past all unbelief, break past all fear, and equip your people supernaturally, just like Saul. When he stood, the anointing turned him into another man. Let the oil of the Lord come upon you and shift you into who he's equipped you to be. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. To walk in your destiny, to walk in your destiny, to walk in your ministry, to take new territory, the grace for ministry rest upon you yes lord amen rest yourself rest yourself yes, sir. first peter 4 10 i've only got two more and then we're done first peter 4 10 serving grace serving grace this is the grace that god puts upon you when you are in the house of god or you're on your job or in your family and you don't feel like anything's moving how do i serve in a place where it's not comfortable. How do I love family members who are unlovable? How do I keep helping people around me who don't seem to respond with joy or love? And there is a serving grace. The Lord can put a grace on you where you keep laughing in the face of their bitterness, where their response does not determine your emotion, where you can look at them and go, oh, okay, you crazy, all right. But I'm not going to let your crazy mess up my mind. And I'm not going to let your dysfunction stop my function. So I'm just going to keep loving you and blessing you because God has sealed me in a grace to serve you anyway. See, Daniel had a grace. Joseph had a grace. They served people who worshiped false gods. They served people who were destroying their own people. They served with such a grace that the people who hated Israel turned and said, how can we bless Israel because of you? You can serve with such passion that you turn the hearts of the wicked to God. The Lord wants you to serve on that job. Stop letting them talking about you affect how you walk in in the morning. Stop letting people looking at you cross-eyed while you're eating your meal make you pull back the joy of the Lord. 
Stop letting how people act when you walk by affect what you carry when you walk by. Doesn't matter how they treat you. It matters that you know you have been given grace to serve. So when you get into hard places, you need to say, Lord, I thank you for the grace to serve. I thank you for the grace to serve. I thank you that you're big enough to help me. If you were big enough to carry a cross and not cuss anybody out while you did it, then you're big enough to keep me from losing my mind. So just help me through this situation. You've got to remember there's grace for this. Let him help you. And I want to be specific. Some of you have family members that you've reached the place where you've had to take care of them, help them, love on them. And you're walking with God and they're not. And they bring their bitterness and their brokenness into your atmosphere. And it almost shuts down your heart and your hope. This is where that grace really kicks in. I know what it's like to be one of the family members who's taking care of someone who is now walking with Alzheimer's or dementia and doesn't know who they are. I know what it is to have to pick somebody up and wash them and bathe them and go to sit them in the bed and they throw up all over you. I know what it is to be taking care of family and they're angry at you because the pain in their body. And in the midst of that, I know what it is when the Lord said, if you'll sing to me while they're complaining, eventually they'll start singing too. And it took a long time, but eventually while we're picking you up and washing you off and you were cussing and complaining before, all of a sudden they start humming the same song you're singing and you realize the Lord has broken through. There is a grace to serve so that you don't become bitter so that while you're walking in love, you don't let their issue become your condition. So ask the Lord, Lord, give me grace to serve. And I say to some of you who have, this is so important. Lord, have mercy. Is this helping anybody today? To unlock this prophetic, prophetic people have such a grace to see that what often happens is our ability to discern things will cause us, if we're not careful, to become very sharp in our response to people not growing. We get tired of people having the same issue. And if you're dealing with the same thing and you've been saved longer than six months, we just need you to, can you go buy a book, get a CD, a DVD, go to that conference, go pray with somebody. I got 10 buckets of oil, anoint yourself outside, baptize yourself in Jesus name. Cause if we discuss this one more time, I'm going to jail. Cause I know right now I'm about to hit you with something in the side of your head. Cause we done prayed about this nine times. I mean, Jesus got Lazarus out the tomb in less time than we having to work this issue out. Can you please let somebody help you? Now, here's the problem. What happens to us when we allow that to become our response is we forget that it took years of you walking with God for you to become who you now are. And we throw away that 30 years where God was scrubbing stuff off us, filing your mind and getting your thinking right, helping you not get mad at people. You had a great week in church and then somebody stole your parking space and you said stuff you didn't know was still in you. And the Lord kept loving on you and blessing you. And we forget all of that because our gift has become so strong that our mercy becomes too weak. 
this is where serving grace has to kick in because the Lord said, I don't care what you see about them. I want to see how you respond to them. I don't say that. I don't care that you discerned all the negative in their life. I want to see if you can love them till the negative dies and the positive kicks in. Can you serve them with grace? Oh, because if you have more gifting than grace, you will always have a cycle of destruction that follows your ministry and your life where everything you build dies because your gift builds, but your grace sustains. So many of us have ministry, business, family, opportunities, money that we reach a certain level and then it deflates every time. Something explodes, something goes wrong. It's because you're gifted to see it grow, but your gift won't sustain it. Only the grace of God flowing through you will sustain what your gift created. So if we're going to unlock this stuff to the next level, he says, you've got to build the grace to serve. How do you build that grace? Serve people you don't like. Serve people that irritate you. That when you walk through the door, you got to remind yourself, act like Jesus, 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 act like Jesus. That while they're talking to you, in your mind, you're going, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. That right after they hug you, you run in the bathroom and anoint yourself. Lord, 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 don't let it stick. Don't let it stick. <laughs> See, See, I believe that we can't unlock and go to the next level until we're real at the level we are. So how do we grow? We have to admit that we have reached a place where we've plateaued. So as he's unlocking us, you've got to build serving grace so that as he is increasing in you, it sustains. So all those folks you don't like, you need to figure out how to serve them better. All the people that get on your nerves, you got to figure out how to take them to the next level with you. Why? Because he won't let them change till you change. Because he's provoking you to maturity by afflicting your comfort. Woo. That was worth the whole message right there. That right there. That's it. We done. We done. All right. We'll see everybody in and out in five minutes. So. <laughs> now. This last one, then we'll be done. Second Corinthians 12, nine, grace to endure, grace to endure. This is when you come into impossible situations, but this really refers to times in life where everything is breaking crazy around you. It's when you go into situations. It's also Hebrews 4, 16. It's where you get into sustained situations that weary you. It's when he says, there is grace to help in time of need. Come to me. Come to me. Don't let life weary you. Come to me. Don't let that situation have lasted so long that now your faith begins to dry up. The Lord says, rush to me in time of need. There's enduring grace. There's grace to endure. There's grace to walk through this. Corey Ten Boom 
told the story. Some of you know who she is. How many of you remember Corey Ten Boom? Okay. For those of you that don't, you need to look her up. It will be a blessing to your life. And she talked about how one of the times while they were in the concentration camp, in the concentration camp, and she's watching friends and family die, that in the midst of all this pain, she said, I believe it was her sister, her sister was singing a song to her. While people are being taken off to be burned, while hell is living all around them, while they're in there not being fed and not being loved on and being abused, her sister was singing. And the Lord sustained her. She said, and I knew it was the grace of God. Grace to endure a concentration camp. And when she came out of it, years later, the Lord said to her, now pray for and bless the guards that led your family to the oven. Grace to endure. To the level of ministry God has called you to, to that level your heart must be surrendered. I can't forgive that. I can't let that go. I can't work with that one. I can't get over that. Then you've already told the Lord that you need to stay at a kindergarten level ministry because you don't have college level love. To the level of your love will be the level of your ministry one day. How far you want to go is equal to the level you give your heart. There's nobody on the planet that can do me so wrong. I give up my future for them. Nobody. There's nobody that could hurt me so deep I would throw away my destiny over that pain. Nobody. Nobody. See what God is calling you to and go after it with all your heart. Ephesians 1, 6. Grace of being accepted. I want to say to some of you, you have been rejected in your life so much and beaten and abused as children so much that it shattered how you saw yourself. But in his presence, there's the grace of being accepted. And I have said to many people who have struggled with emotional healing, you need to ask the Lord every day, Lord, I thank you for the grace that makes me feel accepted. That you will suddenly feel coming over your life and over your mind a grace that transcends your past and melts away the shackles in your soul. And you will wake up one day realizing what they did to me did not change who I really am. There will be a grace of being accepted that shifts you into knowing who you are in God. And you will feel peace that passes all understanding. Now these last two are fun, so I'm going to throw them at you. 1 Corinthians 20, verse 10 and 30. There is grace to eat. I got Jonathan on this one. This is good. I got Jonathan. There's grace to eat. John knows. That's my brother right there. There's grace to eat. Why is this important? He says... When he was talking about the tables, he said, other people are upset because of my freedom to eat whatever I eat. He said, now, if it offends you, I won't eat it. He said, but don't get mad because I have the grace to enjoy what others cannot. There is a grace to enjoy, to eat. What does that mean? There is a grace that can come upon you where you can eat and celebrate and walk in the blessing. So I say to some of you, now this, this doesn't mean to be unwise with your health. But what it really speaks of is especially when you're traveling and ministry and doing the things God has called you to do. Don't become legalistic. 
I have been to 54 nations and eaten everything they gave me. And we were laughing and talking with Dano about stuff we ate that there's stuff I've eaten that you'd never get up again. We would never see you again. And I ate it and enjoyed it. We'll never eat it again. Because <laughs> I found out what it was. There's grace. And the last one, and I love this one. Paul said, by the grace of God given unto me, I have come to you. What does that mean? There's grace to travel. <laughs> there is grace to travel. Some of you need to know that what God is calling you to do in your future, there's a grace that comes upon you for travel. And some of you have disqualified yourself because you keep saying, I can't go there. I don't know what it'd be like to go there. I don't know what the food would be like. You've talked yourself out of going. You need to start professing over yourself. I have grace to fly for 12 hours. I have grace to go to that. I have grace to go anywhere he sends me and I will enjoy the journey. Stop limiting yourself because life and death is in the tongue. You can talk yourself out of what God has given you. I've had people say to me, well, I'm not called to travel. I'm just called to be here. And yet you'll listen to half their prophetic words and God has called them to other nations. So what they're actually saying is, my personal comfort is more important than my eternal destiny. So I'd rather tell God he's wrong than admit I'm stuck. Woo. So it's not about whether or not you want to go. Did he say go? If he said go, start thanking him for the grace. Because the grace will come and he will empower you. Oh my Lord, okay. We've got another service coming in, so we're going to have to stop. Have this been, has this blessed you this morning? Okay. Now, oh my Lord, we're going to end by doing something supernatural. And that would be good because, you know, we're supernatural people. It'd be a waste of time to come to a conference and not have some supernatural. All of the elders and leaders here, I need you to come up. Yeah. Now, we're about to, we're going to start ministry. And then as we start to minister from that point on, you'll be released. If you have to go out, you're released to go. We're going to regather at 7 p.m. tonight. Tonight is going to be the blowout. And tonight we have many young people who will be prophesying and sharing. So God is going to do something that many of us have not seen. God is about to talk through some of the young ones who God has been speaking to, stirring in. The Lord said to me the other day, I saw their faces, and he said, I put a fire and a revelation in them. As you have released the word about being unlocked, unlock them. Unlock the next generation and release them. And so they're going to share. I'm going to come in between some of their sharing, and we're just going to all tonight is just ministry. They're going to release a word, then we're going to minister. Release a word. We're going to prophesy to everybody who's here. We're ministering to everybody who's here. So if the Lord moves on you to return tonight, come back expecting because we're laying hands and prophesying to every person that comes in. You will not leave without a word from the Lord. All right. As the word is going out today, if you believe that the grace of God is about to be increased upon your life and you believe one of those graces specifically, I feel like the Lord is stirring me. I need the grace to serve. I need the grace to endure. 
I just feel like I need more grace for ministry. As we come down, just come down. And as you come down to one of the leaders, I want you to just say, here's what I'm coming for. And then they're going to begin to pray for you. And we're going to release that because I believe the Lord is going to release the grace over each one of you, the specific grace you need for the days ahead. Father, I thank you for your presence this morning. I thank you for your glory in this place. And I pray now as we come in your presence just to agree, as hands come upon us to agree, just a point of agreement, as we come in contact with each other, you will release a supernatural grace through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, our friend, you are in this house. I ask you to equip and empower to rest upon each one that we will leave fully immersed and fully empowered that we might walk forward into destiny clothed with grace to become in Jesus name. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Just come down as the Lord leads you. Just come on down. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your grace.